The 325th edition of the Four Corners Podcast starts right now. This is the Four Corners Podcast. I'm the luckiest guy in the world, I've said that, to be in Chapel Hill, to be at the University of North Carolina. We win 54 to 53, North Carolina did it. North Carolina wins the championship. With 20 seconds left to play, goes back to Michael Jordan, jumper from out on the left, good! They're on way to win it! Worthy five, the Tar Heels are going to win the national championship! Weber, front court, Carolina with foul, he takes the timeout, they're out of Williams on the drive, gets it back out to him, long outside shot, short, rebounded, May, it's over, Carolina has won the national championship. 89-72, and how about them Tar Heels, they are the national champions. I've been the luckiest coach in the world. Pump fake for three, too strong on the shot, that's it, the Tar Heels are the national Champion. Carolina has been tested and tried and been proven successful through all the years. And the way that we will play will be the Carolina way. My love for North Carolina, I mean, I love this school, I love these fans, and I love everything about it, and I would, I would die for this school, I really would. Here are your hosts, Josh Marlowe and Anthony Pagnotta. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Four Corners Podcast live here on a Thursday night. Less than 48 hours from Carolina and Duke as the greatest rivalry in sports will renew itself on Saturday evening in Chapel Hill. And we're here to get you ready for uh, what, what, what feels what feels and is is a big game between these, these two rivals. Um, and the first time that this game has had some real big juice in the regular season Outside of Coach K's final game two years ago at home in Cameron, this is the first time it's felt like Duke Carolina in February in about five years. Um, top, you know, two of the, the best teams in the in the ACC, two of the best teams in the country, um, as are both ranked inside the top ten meeting as top ten teams for now the fiftieth time. Um, and so we're here to, to get you ready for that. We'll tell you everything you need to know. About the about the rivals, look at this game from the Carolina perspective, discussion topic, keys to the game, and so much more. But we start every edition of the pod, as we always do with the pod, thought of the day. And this might be the most fun one that we get to do on the pod because it's uh, it's everything that we believe in when it comes to this game. And it's simply it's 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 in our fight song. Um, we tweet this out very much throughout the, the the Duke week and whenever we play Duke, beat Duke, et cetera, et cetera. But the pod thought of the day is to go to hell, Duke. Um, you know, which isn't a bad thing to say because their mascot has the devil in it, so that's where they deserve to go. But uh, you know, it's um, it's always a lot of fun when you get to this game and. As we sit here inside 48 hours, you know, the hype, the, the anticipation, the expectation, it's starting to build. And it's a lot of fun when these two get together. Um, two great programs that do it completely different. They think about it differently. But um, over the past 50 to 60 years, the, the excellence they've put on the basketball court 
Um, there isn't another rivalry in sports that quite lives up to what these two have to offer. Let's take a look at the history uh, between these two rivals. Carolina leads the all-time series 143 to 117. Carolina won the first ever matchup 36 to 25 all the way back in 1920. The largest margin of victory for Carolina in the rivalry, 37 points in 1921. Duke's largest margin of victory is 35 points. That came back in 1964. This game in Chapel Hill where Carolina is 65 and 39 all-time against the Blue Devils, but they are just 20-18 and in the Smith Center. And coming off a loss last year at home to Duke um, on senior night, I think it's just the second or third time in my lifetime Carolina's lost at home to Duke on senior night. And it was a game that effectively took that group out of the NCAA tournament. Um, Carolina would not be able to – go on and, and, and make a, a run in the ACC tournament and they would miss out on the field. You flash forward a year later, um, I think we always want this game to be what this game is, but you just quite never know. But as I mentioned in the in the open there, for the first time in about five years, this feels like Duke Carolina as the two square off for the first time of the season on Saturday night. Well, it's the first time that the two teams are the best teams in the ACC since that point. Um, you know, there's been some down years for Carolina. There was one down year in there for Duke along the way as well. Um, but, you know, the thing is, is that now it's it's back to being, you know, what we thought it could ultimately end up being again. I think both teams have the coaches that they feel can take them to the next level and, and get them back into the conversation nationally year in and year out. And um, these are two teams that, you know, they're they're. I, I guess it, it, they're different so far this year in the fact that Carolina is looked at as a national title contender where it feels like a lot of people when they talk about Duke want to be very critical. Um, you know, Early in the year, people were trying to say that this Duke team could be very similar to Carolina last year um, because they came in preseason ranked number two overall. They got off to a slow start. They, too, lost to Georgia Tech to begin their conference season. And a lot of people at that time thought, okay, this is a Duke team that really isn't going to be all that good. But as we've seen many times before with the way that they are built, relying on a lot of young guys, um, it is a team that took a little bit of time to gel. They've had some injury issues along the way. But now coming into this matchup, there are going to be people that are going to argue that because Carolina lost the other night to Georgia Tech, that Duke is playing better basketball than Carolina. Ultimately, what do, what, what do I think it means? I think it means that you've got two teams that are playing really good basketball at this point. I think you've got two teams that legitimately are in the conversation to – cut down the net at the end of the season. You've said it before that there are, you know, Jay Billis will say going in, there's 20 to 30, uh, 25 to 30 teams that can win the national championship. Realistically, there's probably about 12, maybe 15. If, if it really is just uh, that parity filled of a season, like we saw a year ago, um, this is a matchup of two teams that legitimately, if they put everything together in March and they're playing their best basketball at that time, can both win the national title. And, you know, it'll be a, a, a 
really good display of that, I think, on Saturday night. But more importantly, this matchup really goes a long way to determining what the ACC picture ultimately looks like. Carolina wins. You're feeling pretty good about where Carolina is moving forward the rest of the year to control their destiny in the ACC, at least for the regular season. If Duke wins, we've got a battle probably down to the end for who will win the ACC regular season. Yeah, I mean, look, I think this is – for this to be the first matchup, this is this is what we want. Um, you know, we want the rivalry to be the center stage of the college basketball world. And the last couple years – to us, it is because we live it, we experience it. But in reality, there were more important games in February and there were more important games in March. And Saturday is a great day of college basketball. You starting at four o'clock, you've got three straight top 10 matchups. On Sunday, you've got another one in the Big Ten. But at 6 30, the college basketball world's going to, it's going to come to a, a stop. And people will will watch this game and watch these two programs duke it out. Um, I, I think with the Super Bowl being a week later and this game being back in the first weekend in February, it gives the chance for the rivalry to to kind of become the center stage of the sports world because there isn't a whole lot else going on. Um, and, and so I think the fact that you've got two top seven teams makes it a lot easier to build the anticipation up. We know the environment is going to be um, sensational. It's always the best home environment of the year. But this is a Duke team that, you know, when I have to talk unbiasedly, as I do very profoundly on WFNZ, I've said all year long they've got the highest ceiling of any ACC team in the conference. Um, As much as I believe Carolina can make a Final Four win a national championship, their ceiling isn't as high as Duke's. If Duke puts it all together, they've got arguably the most talent of anybody in the country. I think John Shire has proven that he knows how to manage talent, manage the egos, and get them to buy in. They just got to be healthy. I think that's been the biggest reason why they've been so up and down. They've missed Tyrese Proctor um, throughout the different points of the season. Kyle Filipowski hasn't been as dominant as everybody thought he was going to be, but yet Duke is still 16-4 and four and 7-2 and two in the league. So, um, you know, I, I think it's easy to expect this game to – be the game of the year so far in the ACC. And you're right. For Carolina, you bounce back. You then get a two-and-a-half game lead um, over Duke in the ACC standings. If you lose this game, Duke's now just, you know, they're, 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 they're tied with you in the loss column. You've got a half-game lead because you've played one extra game over them. But you would figure that going down the stretch, this would be an ACC race that would probably go down all the way to the final weekend of the regular season. Let's take a deep dive, a little bit deeper dive at Duke um, and talk about where they are as they, as we sit right now, as I mentioned, 16 and four, seven and two on the year. They are number seven in the AP poll up to 12th in Ken Palm and they're 17th in the net. After starting 0 and two on the road, they've ripped off four straight road wins. Very impressive win for them on Monday night at Virginia Tech in Castle Coliseum. Five players averaging double-figure scoring, led by Kyle Filipowski, 17.5 points, 8.7 rebounds, 2.9 assists. He's shooting 50% from the field, 
37% from three. Jeremy Roach, the veteran guard, 13.9 points, 2.3 rebounds, 3.1 assists. He's shooting 48% from the field, 48% from three. Mark Mitchell, third on the team in scoring, 12.5 points, six rebounds, 1.2 assists, all while shooting 52% from the field. Jared McCain, 12.4 points, 4.3 rebounds, 1.7 assists, shooting 45% from the field, 40% from three. And Tyrese Proctor, 11.2 points, 2.6 rebounds, 3.9 assists, shooting 46% from the field, 39% from three. As a team, they shoot 39% um, from behind the three-point line, the 17th best mark in all of college basketball. When I look at Duke and I look at what makes them go and when they don't play at a high level, it's, it's their guard play. And primarily, it's Tyrese Proctor, a guy that is going to be an NBA uh, lottery pick, you would imagine, whenever he decides to turn pro. He got hurt in that loss at Georgia Tech that you referenced. He, I believe it was an ankle injury that cost him to miss some time. And once he became back from injury, he had to work himself kind of back into playing shape, into rhythm. But when you look at him, when he plays well, Duke plays well. You look at the, his game he had the other night at Virginia Tech. He was aggressive. He forced the issue, kind of like Elliot Cadeau did for Carolina at Florida State uh, at Florida State a week ago. And we saw how that game worked out for us. You've got a big in Kyle Filipowski that'll be the toughest matchup for Carolina. You've got a senior guard in Jeremy Roach that knows what it means to play in this game, um, whether it's at home or on the road. And, you know, I think you look uh, up and down at this Duke squad, they're not going to be scared of the moment. They're not going to be inferior of the environment. And they're playing well enough to where um, they'll be confident coming in that they can get a second straight or a third straight win over Hubert Davis in Chapel Hill. Yeah, I mean, look, this is not the best Duke team that you're ever going to see by any stretch of the imagination, but it's a very solid team. It's a team that's built a little bit different because you do have a lot of guys that have stuck around. These are names that are familiar with this rivalry. It's not the approach that we saw at times from uh, Coach K where you just wanted to bring in as many young guys as possible. Jared McCain is their one young guy uh, that starts for them, Um, and he's a guy that – you know, we've seen him adjust throughout the year. He he looks the part. He's a really good player. But everybody else, I mean, Jeremy Roach is a guy that's played in this game multiple times. Um, you know, a, a, as veteran as we've seen really any Duke player in a long time. They will actually be able to honor him on senior night, which I don't even know if they'll know what to do on that night. Um, but, you, you know, you look at Tyrese Proctor, um, I, I think you're right. He really is the key to everything that this team does because if he's playing at the top of his game, which he started to play better here recently, um, but if he's playing at the top of his game, there's just about nobody uh, in college basketball at that point guard spot uh, that is better. Um, and that's the thing that, you know, Carolina's got to do in this game. That's got to be the focus is trying to slow him down um, and, and make, you know, other guys beat you. You know, Filipowski is a guy that's going to have a pretty successful night. Um, he's, you know, even when he's off, he's still a guy that gets to the free throw line a lot. 
um, really is able to create mismatches uh, against, you know, the more traditional fives. I will say that, you know, we've seen and we've talked about it throughout the year. Armando Baycott is probably built to defend him a lot better this year than he has in uh, th- th- than he was last year. Um, you know, he, he was a guy last year that we were very concerned about in this matchup because we just didn't feel like he had the versatility to stay in front of him. I think for the most part, we've seen it throughout the year that um, he, he does have much better quickness, foot speed. Um, I, I think he'll be ready for this matchup. So I'll be interested to see how he steps up in this game, especially coming off of one of the worst games that we've seen him play so far this year ends up getting benched in that game. So there could be a lot of motivation for him going up against a guy that, uh, you know, coming into the year was a lot of people's pick to be the conference player of the year. But I think the other guy that a lot of people probably don't know about, but it really is important to what this team does is Mark Mitchell. And his matchup against Harrison Ingram, I think, is going to be huge. Really good defensive player. Um, a guy that just means so much. When he was out of the lineup, it was very, very noticeable that they didn't have him in there. Very solid rebounder at 6.1 per game. Now, the thing is, is that as we've seen from Harrison Ingram, he's a guy that rebounds at a much higher level higher level than that, especially recently. Um, but I think that he is one of the key cogs. He's starting to shoot the ball a lot better than he was early in the season um, when he was putting up some historically bad numbers. So, I mean, Carolina's got to be weary of, of this team. There's so many guys that are starting to settle into a little bit of a rhythm shooting the basketball. Uh, but the thing is, is that, look, Carolina's faced teams like this so far this year, especially teams that shoot the ball well from beyond the arc. Uh, one that you go back to and look at the way they defended the three-point line most recently against a team that was ranked as highly as Duke is, is when they played Wake Forest and did a great job of running that team off the three-point line. I think it needs to be a similar game plan in this game against the Duke team that is really settled in offensively. You look at this game from the Carolina perspective, Carolina 17-4, and 9-1 and one in ACC play. They are sitting third in the AP poll. Depending on what happens Saturday, they could either probably stay right there at number three. If they drop this game, they will fall out of the top three in the AP poll. They're seventh in Ken Palm, ninth in the net. They are 9-0 and at home in the Smith Center so far this season, and they're averaging – uh, 90 points per game. Um, so they, they, I think, you know, after back-to-back road games, they'll be excited to be back home in the friendly confines that is the Smith Center. Carolina has four players averaging double-figure scoring, led by R.J. Davis's 21.5 points, 3.7 rebounds, 3.3 assists. He's shooting 45% from the field, 41% from three. Armando Baycott, second on the team in scoring, 13.4 points, 9.9 rebounds. He's shooting 53% from the field. Harrison Ingram, 12.1 points, 8.8 rebounds, 2.5 assists, shooting 42% from the field, 40% from three. And Cormac Ryan, the last man to be averaging double figures, 10.9 points, 3.3 rebounds, 1.2 assists, shooting 37% from the field, 
30% from three. Carolina's averaging making 18.4 foul shots per game. That's eighth most in the country. And they attempt 24.4 foul shots per game. That's 16th most in the country. And their rebounding ascension continues. Carolina averages 41.7 rebounds per game. That's good for the seventh best mark in all of college basketball. One thing I did want to mention before we we, we we hear a word from our partners and really get to the, the keys to the game um, is coming out of the Georgia Tech game. There was a players-only meeting that was held that lasted almost an hour and a half or so after the game. Um, the Tar Heel Illustrated, you know, had this, and Inside Carolina um, kind of has an article up about it. And for whatever reason, our, our fan base kind of thought that we, we lose a game and all of a sudden we were on the verge of our season, our season falling apart. And this, this thing really coming off the tracks. And from the reporting and everything that, that I kind of read and listened to that came out of it, it was more of just the guys coming together and saying, hey, this is, this is a learning moment. We got to take this one on the chin. We got as much to blame ourselves for this loss as much as, you know, not getting a foul call in the, in the final seconds or whatever. Should we be concerned about the mindset of this team going into the biggest game they've played so far this season based off a quote-unquote players-only meeting the other night after the loss to Georgia Tech? No, no. I, I mean, I, if they're and, – and, again, I have not seen this nearly as much, I guess, as you have. Um, I, I don't understand why there would be any sort of panic. Um, and, I mean, look, players-only meeting, I, I think it's – Honestly, that probably happens more than you think, especially, you know, a team that's as close as this team seems. Um, I, I I don't read anything into that. I, I think it's it's basically just, hey, let's reset. Um, let's figure out what, you know, we did wrong. And, and here's the thing. I think that, honestly, it's a good thing, right? Like, this team clearly cares that they're losing games. I don't think it was that the team last year didn't care, but it just doesn't like it doesn't it didn't seem to affect last year's team as much as it affects this year's team. Where those guys were clearly bothered by something that happened the other night. They wanted to address it and probably hold, you know, themselves accountable across the board and say, look, we we you know, we got this our first conference loss is out of the way. We just, you know, take a breather, put that game behind us, and now focus on this game. So, um, I, I mean, I don't really read anything into it. I, I don't think that there's going to be any question about where the mindset of this team is going to be. I think we've seen it throughout this year that this team knows how to get themselves motivated for big games. This is the biggest game that they've played all season long. Like, we've said it before plenty of times. If you can't get motivated for this game, then you're playing you're, – you're, you shouldn't be playing sports. Like, this is the best rivalry in all of sports, and it's not even close. So, I mean, for these guys, I think, you know, there's, there's a lot of guys that are new to the rivalry on the Carolina side of things. But at the same time, I feel like these are guys that 
understand what it means. You know, Harrison Ingram's a guy that um, grew up wanting to be a Tar Heel, so you would imagine that there's just built-in, um, you know, vitriol towards Duke. Um, you know, Cormac Ryan's a guy that's played in the ACC. He's played against Duke before. You'd imagine that there's definitely some, you know, when you play against them, there's there's always going to be. Uh, mo- extra motivation, and now you're doing it in the Tar Heel uniform. Um, and then you got the guys that have been here for a while, like R.J. Davis and Armando Baycott, which at this point, it's just part of the fabric for them. So um, to me, I-, I think, you know, we- we've said it when, you know, talking about them ultimately losing a game before the Duke game. It's probably the best thing because it's going to serve as sort of a reset and a, a, a chance to sort of re-energize before the biggest game of your season. I think these dudes are going to be locked in and ready to go, especially with this game being at home. And that's how I look at it. I, I think it was just – look, Dave, the, it was a grueling month. They played six road games. The first time they played six road games in a month, I think it was since like 1952. So that predates ACC play. You're at the halfway point in the conference season and you had almost you have virtually four days between games just a chance to kind of reset everything acknowledge what you've done it's which and you've accomplished a lot you went on a 10 game winning streak mm-hmm. you've emerged as the team to beat in this conference so now you've got to um you got to play with that burden virtually every night you walk on the court you've emerged as a national title contender um, you've got to play to that standard every single night, and you didn't the other night. And that's, I mean, it's a, like I say it's okay. Every team that's been ranked inside the top ten has experienced what you've experienced the other night. Teams are twenty five and twenty nine on the road this season. Like it's just not easy to go on the road in today's college basketball and win. And so, um, it, it, you know, and if, if I was sitting here concerned about the mentality of this group then everything that I thought I believed about this team would be all for nothing because I I think this is a mentally strong team. I don't worry about them not showing up ready to play on Saturday night. I think, if anything, they might be too anxious to get out there and play and rebound from the loss the other night. So um, I think Carolina is in as healthy a spot they can be in from a mental standpoint heading into what is the biggest game of the season. Also, the thing that I don't understand is, like, guys, they've lost games before this season. Like, this wasn't the first loss that this team has ever suffered together. Like, they've they've lost to a Villanova team that, you know, in their mind, they probably felt like they shouldn't have lost to. And when you look back on it, you know, they, they probably think even more so now they shouldn't have lost to. Um, you know, they, they had a chance to capitalize against uh, UConn and, you know, get, just got overpowered. And then, I mean, Kentucky, that they, the opportunities were there. They just they got beat at their own game. They had a team just go to the offensive glass, uh, and, and that's ultimately what prevented them from winning the game. But yet all of those circumstances, they bounced back from. Remember how important we were saying at the time the Oklahoma game was? Look at how well they played in that game when they had pressure on their shoulders because people were already saying, well, you know, if they lose three straight, all of a sudden this thing could come off the rails. So to me, I mean, yeah, I I don't feel like this is the first test that this team has faced. And I don't feel like it'll be the last. I, I think 
this leadership group and Hubert Davis, you, you have to trust that, that, that they can they, they will be ready to go for this rivalry matchup against the Blue Devils. Well, we have set the scene for Carolina and Duke. Coming up next, we'll have a discussion topic about the pressure that does exist on Hubert Davis in this game before we give our keys to the game and pick the game. But first, we got to give you a word from our partners. Hey there, Josh, or hey there, Josh here for the Autograph Fandom app. Want to get rewarded for listening to our show? The team at Autograph, co-founded by Tom Brady, is redefining the fan experience by letting users earn points for the active fandom they take every day, like listening to this show. The Autograph Fandom app gives you access to your favorite UNC content all in one place and offers rewards like tickets, exclusive merchandise, and more. You're already listening to our show, but now you can earn points and get rewarded for doing so. Head over to the Apple App Store and research Autograph Fandom Rewarded and download it free today using the referral code HEELTOUGH. The link and code are also in our podcast description. All right, now let's get into tonight's discussion topic. Hubert Davis is 2-3 and three against Duke. Not a bad mark. You would like to be 5-0. and oh. Four and one or three and two, but those two wins, pretty big ones, at Duke uh, and Coach K's final home game against Duke in the Final Four to send Coach K into retirement and Carolina to the national title game. He is zero and two at home though, and kind of like um, what Roy Williams experienced when he first came back to Carolina. You go back to the two thousand five game on senior day where Carolina won on Marvin Williams' go-ahead bank shot. He was 0-3 against Duke in that time and was feeling the pressure to finally beat the Blue Devils, period, whether if it was at home or if it was in Cameron Indoor Stadium. When you look at Hubert Davis being 0-2 at home and one of them, a blowout loss where this team wasn't prepared, and last year it was a defeat that effectively kept them out of the NCAA tournament. There's always pressure in this game just because of what this game is and what it means. But is there any extra pressure for him to finally get that first home win over the arch rival? I mean, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I think he probably bought himself some time, right? When you, when you win the game that you won in Coach K's final home game, then you turn around and win the game that matters the most and will matter the most for a long, long time, at least, if not, will, will, will be the biggest game that has ever been played in the rivalry's history in the Final Four. I feel like you kind of buy yourself some time. And, and look, you have to add some context to, you know, yeah, first, first game that uh, is in question here in his first year, Carolina gets blown out. But – that was the first time that he had ever coached in that rivalry. Um, again, it was still a very similar team to what you had last year. I mean, remember at the time, they were not playing well during that time. Uh, that was when that team was still struggling. That was a team at the time that we didn't know if that team was going to make the NCAA turn. Um, and, you know, luckily he ends up winning the game that matters the most that season uh, just to get Carolina in position to ultimately make the NCAA tournament and have a chance to win that final four game. Um, but, you know, last year, I, I think, you know, it's hard. I guess it's hard to hold that against him as well, just because it's not his guys. 
that was a team that was so fractured. But, you know, at the same time, he was the head coach. He's got to wear some of it. So, I mean, look, do I think there's a little bit of added pressure on him to win this game? Yes. But where is it probably coming from? Himself. It's probably not from the university. I don't think they're telling him, like, look, you got to start winning, especially at home in this rivalry or else you're in trouble. Um, but I, I think it's one that he really wants. Uh, this is going to be a game that we know, you know, uh, they, they've done so many things already for Eric Montross, um, you know, so many different universities that Carolina has been to. They've honored him. Carolina honored him right after his passing. But you'd imagine that with the history that he has in this rivalry, there will be something for him. There will be something for Walter Davis. Um, you know, it's it's an anniversary of, of his shot um, that that completed one of the greatest comebacks in the history of sports and, and to do it in this great rivalry. So there's going to be a lot of emotion in this game for, you know, the, the, the two legends that have passed and just overall – with this game, you know, being one of the biggest installments that we've seen in a while between these two. So uh, I think this is one that Hubert Davis definitely wants, um, but I don't think that it's one where there is a ton of added pressure on him um, outside of maybe him putting some on himself to get that first home win. Well, I'm going to clarify. Like, I don't think there's any university pressure. There's no – his job doesn't hinge on this result. But there is there is pressure to quit losing at home to your biggest rival. And the biggest reason why, when you look at this game, is if you lose this game, it's easier to see Duke winning the ACC regular season than if you win the game. Like, you win this game, you, you, you're back to a two-and-a-half game lead. You have, at that point, the, the upper hand over Duke because you would have the tiebreaker at the moment. And we all know this starts the gauntlet of the schedule for Carolina, but your next game's Clemson at home. You should win that game. You should be able to go on the road and win at Miami. Like, it it makes it really hard to envision Duke being able to overcome a a two-and-a-half game deficit with nine, ten games left to play. So I think that's where the pressure is, is you're wanting to stay in the driver's seat um, in the ACC regular season, which we value more. Duke values winning the ACC tournament more than they value winning the ACC regular season. We value winning the regular season more so than we value winning the ACC tournament. So um, I think that's what it is, is just uh, to keep yourself in control and command um, of how this ACC race ultimately is going to play itself out now let's get to the fun part which is our keys to the game first key for me is carolina's big three have to have big games you need rj davis harrison ingram and armando baycott to play at a high level um you know as for armando this is now his fifth time doing this at home his his tenth time his tenth time overall as a Tar Heel so he's going to know how to prepare himself mentally and emotionally for the game this is RJ Davis's fourth game um in this rivalry at home so he knows what it's going to be like getting himself mentally and emotionally prepared this will be different for Harrison Ingram this will be the best environment he's ever played in um 
And as as Huber Davis often talks about, this is why you come to Carolina. This is why you want to put on that jersey, walk out that tunnel, and play on that floor. So I want Harrison to embrace the atmosphere, embrace the pageantry, because if you use that to your advantage, you know, we've seen how the crowd, you know, how it works in Cameron. When Carolina wins at home, they they feed off of their crowd as well. So um, with that, Carolina's a big three. All have to play at a high level, which hasn't happened very often all in the same game. Um, you need R.J. Davis to be his efficient uh, self, scoring the basketball. You need Armando Baycott to uh, – establish an inside presence on the post and be able to uh, score consistently all night. They need Harrison Ingram. You know he's going to do the work on the backboards, but this has to be a game where his impact is felt offensively. It wasn't there the other night. Um, he was 2-7 of seven from 3. He missed about four point-blank shots at the rim. You can't miss those bunnies in this game, and so – um, you know, usually big-time players bring out the best, or big-time games bring out the best in your players. Hopefully that's the case for Carolina on Saturday night. Yeah, look, I'm not that concerned about R.J. Davis. I think he'll get his. Um, the thing is, is that ultimately there's going to be a point in this game where he's going to be taken away, and you need other guys to step up. And um, those, you know, the two the, the two other guys that you talk about from Carolina's big three are, are the guys that you're looking at to step up more than just about anybody. Um, this is a game where you need Armando Baycott to really look the part of the guy that was, you know, a preseason, last year preseason uh, player of the year in the conference, this year preseason first team all ACC. You, you need him to be the guy that we know that he is capable of being at times. Um, doesn't have to be the, the dominant force from 21-22, but you need him to be a guy that can match what – Kyle Filipowski is doing. You need him to be a guy that Carolina can rely on inside. He's got to be able to finish at the rim, something that has been, you know, an inconsistency for him throughout his career. But, you know, this is this is one of those nights where you need him to show up and, and play like the Armando Baycott that we've seen at times this year, but we just haven't seen it, you know, consistently enough to where you, you feel comfortable and saying that he's uh, you know playing at at an all conference type of level, uh, and then you know with Harrison Ingram, I think you know you need him to knock down some of those shots that he was he, he was looking at the other night. Now, part of it was that you know I, I said it when we were recapping the uh, game from the other night that I didn't think the shot selection was great, but for the most part, there were open looks that he just wasn't able to knock down in this game. The those looks have to fall. I'm not saying that you need him to drop 25 in this game. I mean, if he wants to, then great. Please feel free. But when he gets some of those opportunities, especially in big moments where you may need one to swing the momentum back in your favor, you need him to be able to knock down those shots. And the other key for Harrison Ingram is, look, if he's going to be aggressive, I'd love to see him go after Mark uh, Mark Mitchell because that's one of those guys, like I said, if you can get him off the floor, he's their best defender. So if you can get him in foul trouble, that's something that you'd really like to see. I'd I, I love to see you know a little bit of the uh, the, the post-up game 
from Harrison Ingram. We just said that that's something that ha- we haven't seen nearly as much as we've gotten into conference play. I'd like to see him sort of go back to that a little bit in this game and try to go after Mark Mitchell because if he does and gets him in foul trouble, I think he'll have a chance to succeed. But the thing is, if you're going to do that, get to the foul line, make your make your foul shots. That's going to be a big key for him. And yeah, no, you're definitely right. Um, I, I do think that matchup, who probably wins that matchup, that might that might ultimately determine the outcome of the game. The other big matchup that's really going to play a role in this game is the backcourts. And whichever backcourt I think plays at a higher level will will ultimately win the game. And the best thing about it is they're they're eerily similar. You have a veteran uh, in Jeremy Roach for Duke. You got a veteran in R.J. Davis for Carolina, and then you've got a, not a you know Tyrese Proctor's played in the rivalry, but the guy that's just going through his second run um, you know, of playing in this game, and then Elliot Cadeau, who will be playing in his first game. This game often feels like a tournament game because of all the intensity that that comes with it. And what do we talk about come March? Guard play matters more than anything else, and whichever team's guard plays better, usually wins the game. I think R.J. Davis is going to be motivated to play at a high level. If he loses this game, unless he comes back for a super senior season, he finishes career one and three at home against Duke. Um, and that, I don't think that's that's something that you know he wants to be he wants to be a part of. So I do think he'll be motivated to to win the game um, or to play well in this game. And you know if he plays well and leads Carolina to a win, it just furthers his case for ACC Player of the Year. And depending on the type of game he has, could really vault him into that conversation for the National Player of the Year. The difference is going to be how Elliot Cadeau responds to this moment. Does he embrace the environment that's going to be inside the Smith Center? And can he control his emotions? Um, I thought the other night was a great learning experience for him. Um, you want him to learn how to play with four fouls in January as opposed to March. He learned the hard way because he fouled out. You're going to go against a guard that's very similar in Nathan George that can get downhill and can get to the basket. So you've got to be prepared to play defense and move your feet at a high level. I think that as much as, you know, the Mark Mitchell-Harrison Ingram matchup, yes. If there's a 1A, 1B, this is it. Whichever backcourt plays the best, I think, wins the game. Well, yeah, no, I, I think you, you're spot on with that. I think, you know, the, I, I like RJ in the matchup against Jeremy Roach. I mean, I know um, Roach is, is playing well this season, shooting 48% overall. 48% from three, but at the same time, I just, to me, you know, this is a guy that RJ is familiar with. Um, I think this is a guy that RJ will be able to go after and try to attack uh, on, on that end of the floor, and I think that's ultimately what you're looking for from him in this matchup. Um, the interesting one to me will be Elliot Cadeau versus Jared McCain. Um, McCain, as you said, you know, you pointed out with, with, with George, Nathan George, Guy that really wanted to get to the basket, downhill player, very similar to Cadell. That's not McCain's game at all. Um, he has that ability. That's that's one of the reasons why Duke, you know, fans are so high on him and and are very hopeful for the future. But at the same time, 
hit the strength of his game is being able to knock down shots from the outside. He shoots the most on the team per game at, at 5.4, knocks down 40% from the outside. So Cadeau, uh, th- that's going to be the test for him in this one. There, you would imagine they're going to try to screen him a lot um, to try to get McCain free. So th- it'll be up to Cadeau at times to either fight through the screen or be able to handle himself on switches. So this is this is going to be a test for him, and we'll see how he handles this matchup. But you know, the other thing that I want to see him do is, you know, we know we we know it from watching Cadeau and and watching you know a lot of the freshman guards that we've seen at Carolina. You know, again, Jared McCain. You know, I haven't watched a, a, a ton of Dukes. You know, to the level where I you know am focused on everything that everybody is doing on the floor defensively. But at the same time, you know, we know how freshman guards struggle on the on that end of the floor. I'd like to see Cadeau get aggressive and try to attack him. That's you know we we've seen these that 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 is his strength. That's where he has the most success, and I think that has to be part of the game plan for him. But ultimately, when it comes to the battle of the backcourts, the guy that really needs to step up here is Cormac Ryan. You have to start knocking down shots from the outside, or if you're not, then you got to realize that earlier in the game. The other night, it was as if he just did not figure out that the shots are not falling. You need to attack the rim. We've seen him do it at times this year. He's done a really good job of getting to the foul line. There are multiple games that we've seen him be the guy that leads Carolina in free throw attempts, and it's because he is, is attacking the rim and drawing fouls or finishing. Um, that is a, a, a strength of his game that I don't know if a lot of us really realized when he first arrived here. I want to see him be more aggressive, at, at, you know, especially out of the gate to start the game. Find a way to you know, get after uh, Duke you know, at the rim. Um, and then look, if, if those shots from the outside start to open up, then you can take those. But, I, I mean, the thing is, is they're just not falling consistently enough for you to stand out there and try to try to knock down threes the entire night. If he can get after, um, you know, whoever he's going to be matched up with, whether it's McCain, Proctor, Roach, there could be a bunch of different guys that he ends up getting matched up with. I think a, as long as he can take advantage of whoever that matchup is, I think he'll, that, that he'll be the key to Carolina winning that backcourt battle. Another key for Carolina um, is to defend the perimeter. We mentioned how well Duke shoots the three. Not a surprise there. Uh, 39% as a team, 17th best mark in the country. Um, And they're coming off a game where Georgia Tech shot 45% from three. They were nine of 20. Did a good job spacing Carolina out. Uh, You know, Duke's got superior better players. Their spacing is going to be better because they can play five out, um, which means the, the biggest thing Carolina's got to do is A, rotate, and B, close out, um, as well as they have in any game so far this season. Um, I think you it's, it's okay to expect Duke to make five to seven threes in this game, but are they doing it on you know 17 to 18 attempts? Or are they doing it on 27 to 28 attempts? And so, um, you know, I, I, I'm not, I'm not going to overreact and, and say that the other night was 
the beginning of the end of this team defending the three-point line as well as they have at any point in my lifetime. But you do have to respond, and you do have to take away that aspect uh, of the game because Duke, as I mentioned, they'll have virtually four guys on the floor at any given point in time uh, that can make perimeter shots. You've got to be aware of that and make them earn from the perimeter looks and not let them just settle into rhythm three-pointers. Yeah, I mean, look, the biggest thing is going to be communication. How do you switch some of the stuff that Duke's going to throw at you? Because they watched the game the other night. They they know exactly what Carolina struggled with in that game. And I think that, you know, for Carolina, it's just being able to rebound from that. You, you've done a great job really since that Oklahoma game of being able – to switch things, and that that was the strength. That was why you were so good defensively. That's why you succeeded against a team like Wake Forest who shot the three ball so well. So, yeah, I think it was an off night the other night. I don't think it's anything that uh, should be too concerning long term, but this is also arguably the best three-point shooting team that you face so far this year. It's a team that comes in in a rhythm. They feel good about where they're at. So uh, you, you have to force the issue. Um, you know, they're going to throw ball screens at you. You need to blitz them at times instead of just switching every single thing, um, especially because you're not – I mean, look, you are much more versatile than you've been in years past. But at the same time, when you have Armando Baycott on the floor, when you have Jalen Washington on the floor, uh, you, you can't necessarily switch e- everything or else there are going to be mismatches. So Carolina's got to be strategic about how they handle those screens. And if they do that, I feel pretty confident that they'll be able to get back on track defending that three-point line the way that uh, they have so far this year, which has allowed them to be so successful here since that Oklahoma game on the defensive end of the floor. We'll highlight this comment from Greg Newman, taking care of the ball and not having sloppy turnovers in the uh, in, in, in both halves, and you got to play 40 minutes. You you got it on there as well that you got to limit first-half turnovers. Here's the thing, not not concerned about that because that hasn't been an issue at home. That's been a road issue where, for whatever reason, Carolina hasn't valued the ball as well in the first half. You go back to both Florida State and Georgia Tech, yeah, you committed first half double-digit turnovers, and you had just one the other night, and I think you had just two or three against uh, Florida State on Saturday. But the point's still there. Like, you can't commit 10 first-half turnovers um, and expect to win. You know, you just you just, you just can't. I mean, this, this team's too good. And unlike Georgia Tech, who didn't punish you off of those turnovers, they'll turn those turnovers into points. And I think that, as much as anything, along with the missed free throws, uh, was probably hammered home uh, in the practices leading up to this game. The last key, very simple. It's the rebounding. And what's what's really odd is a month ago, I would have thought Duke would have had the, the rebounding edge, thought they were the better rebounding team. And then the basketball gods intervened. And all of a sudden, Carolina basketball is rebounding the way Carolina basketball has the majority of my life. I would have never thought we had a top 10 rebounding team in the country. Never would have would have thought that, uh, but that's what Carolina is. That's where they are right now, um, in large part because of Harrison Ingram and because Armando Baycock continues to still produce for the most part in that category. That needs to be the case to, uh, in this game. 
Um, I, I typically Carolina has beaten Duke up on the glass, and that's how they they keep themselves in games when they don't have the talent advantage, or that's how they've just been able to manage games when they've had the superior team. Don't think Carolina has the talent advantage. I do think they're the better team right now, and if they rebound the ball and control the backboards, that means they control the tempo. That uh, is another thing that that plays into their hand. And I think if Carolina has one more rebound than Duke, um, it's easy to see them having one more point than Duke uh, when that clock strikes zero. Well, and the, the the other interesting thing about this is is that we thought coming into the year. Duke would be very similar to how they were a year ago, which they were one of the better rebounding teams in the ACC. This year, they're 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 kind of middle of the road. They're they're a team that averages just under thirty six rebounds a game. Um, so it's not a team that's dominant on the glass. And Carolina is starting to look more and more like the dominant team. Um, I you know I like what you said at the end there. I, I really think that if Carolina can rebound at a high level, they will control the pace of this game, which is ultimately what you want to do. The other thing that I was encouraged by from the game against Georgia Tech, and I know people will say, how do you, how are you encouraged by anything from the game against Georgia Tech? Um, the way this team offensive rebounded and the second chance points that it created were very encouraging. And hopefully this is, this is something that you can see moving forward for Carolina. And this will be a great game for you to build off of that. If you can, you know, pull down some key offensive rebounds, especially in the second half, and give yourself, um, you know, extra opportunities on that end of the floor, I think that would be huge. And you know, in a game like this, where it could come down to the final possession or the final couple of possessions, just being able to find those extra opportunities are going to be huge. You know, for Duke, they're going to be wanting to create those turnovers. The reason that I was concerned about it, or just a little bit, is the fact that it's happened in back-to-back games. And for Carolina, I think you know the area that Carolina is going to look at their, their opportunity to create extra chances is going to be on that offensive glass. So hopefully, that's an area that they um, you know can expose Duke at in this game, pull down some of those offensive rebounds, and if they can do that, I think they have a really good chance. Uh, to uh, score when they need to and ultimately pull the upset uh, or, or pull out the win against Duke. Believe it or not, Carolina enters Saturday night with a 67.8% chance to win the game. Who wins the game and why? Well, I think, I mean, look, I, I think Carolina, you know, we, we talked about it when we were recapping the game against Georgia Tech. Um, you know, it's probably a weird mindset to take. And the players, you would hope this wasn't the mindset that they were taking. But for Carolina, this is probably the best thing that that happened to them for this game was they lost to Georgia Tech. They're going to be highly motivated. They were going to be anyways with this game being at home. As you mentioned, Hubert Davis 0-2 against Duke at home in his coaching career. Um, th- this is a team that, once again, I feel like you are going to see some people nationally start to question them. Um, I feel like you'll see it on game day when they talk about this game. And I feel like there will be a lot of people that will pick Duke in this game because of ultimately what we saw 
the other night. And I think this team is going to laugh at that. I think they're going to say, look, that was just an off night for us. Um, clearly, this is a team that cares. The fact that they had a players-only meeting after one loss in conference play shows you uh, that they want to respond and they they want to do it in uh, uh, you know a grand fashion against their biggest rival. Um, I think you know it'll be a back and forth affair like we're used to seeing against Duke. I think there's just way too much talent on both sides of the floor. Um, but ultimately, I think Carolina's leadership will show up late in this game. I think R.J. Davis, how clutch he's been down the stretch, you'll see that show up. I think you'll see Harrison Ingram uh, hit some of the clutch shots that we've seen from him as well down the stretch of this game. And I, I think I think this is one of those those games for Cormac Ryan. I think he'll play well. He's he's you know he struggled you know to really be consistent throughout the year. But we've seen him step up at times when Carolina really needs him. I feel like this will be another one of those games for him. I think he has a really strong performance in this one. I like Carolina. I think it'll be close throughout, like I said. But I think in the end, Carolina emerges somewhere in that three to five point range. I think I think Carolina wins. I think they're poised to bounce back in a big way. I think Armando Baycott, R.J. Davis will be motivated uh, because this could be the last time they ever play at home against Duke. They don't want to remember that as a loss. I think you get big games from, from both of them. I think Harrison Ingram puts together maybe the most complete performance we've seen from him all season long. And then I think you're right. I think this game always the winner, an unsung hero, emerges. Cormac Ryan may be 25, but he would qualify as an unsung hero, being a, a super senior transfer that hasn't really played up to the 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 standard or the expectation um, upon transferring in from Notre Dame uh, this past season. So I think Carolina responds. I think they get a win. I think it's going to be fun. I think it's going to be high scoring. I think it's going to be intense. I.e., I think it's going to be every Carolina-Duke game that we've experienced for our lives and pretty much what this rivalry has delivered over the last 60 years. So, um, But no matter what happens on Saturday night, we'll be here uh, to, to recap it all, starting on the website. That's HeelToughBlog.com, where a preview of the game will be up tomorrow evening. So, uh, you know, make sure you're staying locked into the website as I continue to take you through the basketball season as it's really starting to heat up now as we are officially into February. As for the podcast, guys, you know where to find us every major podcasting platform. Simply search the Four Corners Podcast and we will pop up. We're there. We do encourage you guys to rate, review, and subscribe. That way you don't miss any editions of the show throughout the remainder of the basketball season. Well, with that, guys, it is going to wrap up this edition of the show. I want to thank all of you that tuned in on the live edition of the broadcast. I do want to thank Anthony for hosting with me. We want to thank you guys for listening. And as always, go Tar Heels and go to hell, Duke. Guys, it just doesn't get any sweeter than that.